I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Now, there, if there is one true vine, then the opposite would be true, that there are other vines that are not true and that are false. Now, living in 2011, the only time you see vines is if you go to Napa Valley, maybe, or somewhere where they have vineyards. Jesus, however, was using language that would have made sense in the first century because there was vineyards everywhere. Jesus says, I am the one true vine, and my father is the vine dresser, which means that if there is a true one, then there are others that are not true and that are false. Let me, let me read the next line, and then I'm going to unpack this a little bit more. Every branch in me, verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, the vine dresser, the father, takes away. We're not going to talk about that today, but we are going to talk about this. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. When we talk about the vine, what Jesus is saying is that there is one source of life. There is one source that if you are connected to this source, you will have life. Let me put it a different way. You and I, we, and, I, and I think I've preached this message before, but I'm going to keep preaching this for as long as that I'm alive because this is important. You and I, we look for life or for fulfillment, for meaning, for purpose, for completion, for love. We look because we don't like to feel empty and sad or depressed. So we look for things that will make us happy and joyful and fulfilled. And what happens is that as humans, we will go to anything that makes us feel good because it makes us feel good. How many of you like to feel crappy? How many of you like to feel sad? How many of you like to feel like your life is meaningless and without purpose? Unless you're weird. Nobody likes to feel that way. So we all go to things that make us feel better about ourselves or that make us feel happy and fulfilled. And for some of you, it might be that person that you keep going back to even though it's unhealthy. And for some of you, it may be a substance that when you keep going back to it, it makes you feel good. So you keep going back to it because then you don't have to deal with some of the real problems. For some of you, you may sit down in front of this magical box in your living room and you will just watch because it's magical. We all look for things that will fulfill us, but Jesus says very simply, I am the vine. I am the one in which all of beauty and wonder and life resides in. I can give you that, but you have to abide in me. That's not always easy because I know that your lives are busy. I know now that if you have kids, it's even harder to find time to abide in Christ. Yeah? Amen, parents? If you're a child, if you're a student, if you, whatever you are, however old you are, your days are so filled with stuff, even if it's meaningless stuff, that it's hard for us to stop long enough to connect and to abide in God. If you remember one thing this morning, it would be this that it would be good advice for you to heed that you would connect to God daily. Now, some of you might be hearing, you got to read the Bible. If 
that's what connects you to God, do it. For others of you, it's prayer. If that's what connects you to God, do it. For others of you, it's walking in nature. If that's what it works for you, do it. Because the moment that I start telling you how you must connect to God, the problem will happen that that's what you will do because you feel like that's what you must do to connect to God. And the problem will become that you won't be worried so much about connecting to God is that you'll be worried about doing the things that get you to God. When the Bible clearly teaches us that Jesus is our connection to God. And the Bible is clear is that God is always the one who gives the invitation. When Jesus says, come, follow me, he doesn't say when you have time or if you want to. The Bible doesn't show that we are the people that go to God. Instead, that God from the beginning of Scripture until the very end of Scripture, God is the one who always initiates the invitation. In the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, God initiates the conversation. Obviously, he creates them, but he initiates the conversation. And what we find in the scriptures is that God is continually coming to people, initiating, and God is initiating the conversation with you today. What is keeping you from really spending time with God daily? So this week, um, one of the spiritual disciplines um, that that we talked about was holy napping. And I know we joked about it this morning with the elders. So I took a nap (laughs) one of these days. It just kind of happened. I was tired, I guess. But what they talked about, I really didn't do it as a spiritual discipline. I did it because I was tired, okay? But here's what they said. They said, sometimes a nap reminds you that while you were asleep, the world kept turning. The world did not fall apart. Nothing stopped happening, which is a reminder that we are not the ones that sustain this world. We are not the ones that are the most important people in this world. We are not the ones that control anything. It's actually God. And God invites you to be a part of what he's doing in this world. But the only way that you can do that is if you are connecting with God. And it says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes it away. But every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, he cleans, and it bears more fruit. And then look at verse 3. Jesus says, and you will be clean when I come again. Is that what it says? What does your Bible translation say there? Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. There are some of you here this morning who are doing everything you can to be clean. And every single morning you wake up with a list of things you will do and things you will not do because you want to get clean. And yet what Jesus says is already you are cleaned. We talk about ourselves as sinners. Talk about ourselves as wretched sinners, unworthy of a Savior, and that may be true. But the way that Jesus talks about you is what? You are already. Do you know why that is? Because a prophet, hundreds, even maybe a couple thousand years before him, he says that God covers you with the garments of salvation, and he covers you with his righteousness. 
God doesn't need you to be perfect because you can never do it. But in God's grace, he covers your sin, which means that if you are one of the people who tries really hard to be good. Now, one of the things that, that comes up as Seventh-day Adventists, I think the very most, is the, the issue of Sabbath, right? So from the moment we grow up to the moment we die, we probably have this conversation, what should we do and what shouldn't we do on Sabbath, right? Is this a question you've had? The problem when you start telling people what to do or not to do on the Sabbath, you form a a sense of legalism. When you tell people what is right and what is wrong to do on the Sabbath, you mess people up. Now, some of you are having a problem with that inside your souls right now. Here's, here's how it's supposed to work. Because Jesus doesn't really talk about it. And when Jesus does talk about the Sabbath, it's not going in the favor of the people that say what you should or shouldn't do. Okay? Jesus says very little about the Sabbath. The way it's supposed to work is that if you abide in the vine of life, if you are connecting to God, and if you are truly open to the Spirit of God, God will show you. The problem we have is that we don't always trust God to show us, so we need the preacher up here to tell us, but I will not do that. Because if I do, I will hinder you connecting to God. We come to church because we want answers, but the reality is, is that we shouldn't give any answers here because if you're coming here on Saturday morning to get answers, you're missing out on a vital part of the journey of faith, which means that you connect with God daily. I hope that what I do here is offend some of you. I hope that when I get up here and I teach from the scriptures that you realize that Jesus is giving a lot less answers and asking a whole lot more questions. To have questions means that we are looking to somebody for answers. The Spirit of God is God, yes? Is God powerful to do miracles? Then the very least he could do is lead and flow through you to show you what is good and right and beautiful and wonderful. We have to have more faith that God can do what the Bible says he does. If God can raise someone from the dead, surely he will show you what he wants. Amen? But we have lost the biblical imagination of who God is Instead, what we've done is we've placed God in a box and we've told God, this is what you must say, God, and this is what you must believe. And so we're going to teach things this way. And what we've done is we've taken the God out of God and we've just made him a man that has some good things to say. But you and I were made in the image of God. God was not made in our image. Jesus says, I am the true vine, which means that there are other vines that are not true. And here's what it begins to look like. It's very possible that some of you are busy doing a lot of good things. It's very possible that a lot of you believe a lot of good things. It's very possible for some of you to be reading Scripture every single day 
And that's a good thing. But Jesus is a living, breathing person. You may spend your life doing a lot of good things and believing a lot of good things, but if you are not coming back to Jesus, and if you are not abiding in Jesus, it doesn't matter all of the good things you're doing. If you are not connecting to Jesus and just opening yourself up to the reality that God actually wants to spend time with you, you are missing out. How many of you have a friend that when you get together, they'll get there and all they do is talk, 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 and then 45 minutes later they leave and you never got a word in? We probably don't have any friends like that, right? Close. But relationships don't develop like that, right? So then why do you just talk at God all the time? Have you ever taken a moment just to kind of sit there and and just ask God to speak to your heart? That may be too, you know, out there for us as Adventists, but it's pretty biblical. I tried doing that this week for five hours in a row. I didn't do very well. Because we are so busy in this world that we don't know how to stop and slow down and listen to God. We are so busy in this world that we do not know how to abide in the vine. And so what we do is this. We know the Bible verses. We know the Bible stories. And so we talk about them to people. We argue with people about doctrine. We argue with people about what the story actually meant. We know all of the stories. And we think that's enough, but it's never enough just to know the stories. We must continually come to Jesus. I am the true vine, and everyone who abides in me will bear much fruit. And so I want to ask you to turn to Psalm 63. There's this verse and then one more. Psalm 63, verse 1. And I want to ask you if this has ever described your spiritual existence. 63 verse 1. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. And in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. When was the last time you blessed God? You see, we're in this business of taking and taking and taking from God. And God is a God of love, so God will continually give to us. Is that correct? Yes, God gives because God is graceful and merciful and loving, so he continually gives. But when have you ever stopped and just blessed God? Is this text true for us? My soul earnestly, in my soul, I earnestly seek for you, I thirst for you. Does it look more like, God, I thirst for you when I, when I've, after I've already had my fill of everything else? Is it true for you that you earnestly seek God in everything? Or is it, I seek you sometimes. I seek you only when I need help. I seek you when it's convenient for me. Hey, I've, I've been there. 
I do that from time to time. I get kind of busy during the week. And there's days that go by that I don't spend intentional time in prayer. I said it, but so do you. You see, the challenge living in the 21st century is that time is passing by so fast that we don't make time for the things that are really important. We fill our lives with a ton of stuff, but it's not always important. It's other sorts of vines in our life, but we are not connecting to the one true vine. And David says, earnestly, I seek you, and my soul thirsts for you. And so I want to look at one other Bible verse. Um, Psalm 91. Oh, no, no. Amos, chapter 5. Who knows where Amos is? You don't have to look for that one. You can, Amos chapter 5, verse 5, the first part of 5. So this is God speaking to the prophet Amos, and this is what God says. Now listen to this. If you're looking for the text, it's okay. Look for it, but listen quickly. God says this, seek me and live. Seek me and live. If you remember only one thing this morning, life is found only in God. Life is found only in God. Where are you looking for life? We don't abide in this world anymore in Jesus. We don't believe that God is a God who does miracles. We don't have faith like the way people used to have faith when they had no food and they had faith that God would rain bread or manna from heaven. Living in the United States, as bad as the economy has been, we don't really need that much faith. Because I can go to the food bank. I can go to the local church for food. There's agencies that will help with electricity. There's friends who will help us with whatever we need. And so what happens is we no longer need faith in the land of America because we have everything we want at our fingertips. We don't realize that because we have everything, even if we have very little, but because we have everything, the need for God is displaced. I don't worry about what I'm going to eat tonight. Actually, never in my life have I worried what I was going to eat. Never in my life except for one night have I worried where I was going to sleep, but that's another story. When I went back to school and my apartment wasn't ready, and so I debated, should I rent a hotel or sleep in my car? Never in my life have I worried what am I going to wear. Instead, I have the opposite. I don't know what of all of the things I have to wear. And so what happens without us knowing is that we no longer feel like we need to have faith in God. Sure, we believe in God, and we believe things about God, which is why we have Bible studies, which is why we read our lesson quarterlies, which is why we get up here and preach, because we like to talk about God. But faith? And I don't want you to answer this question out loud, but do you really believe that you have faith? When was the last time you truly believed this is my God and my Savior? Not just for what you need, but because it's true. And so David, in Psalm 91, 
He says, he or she who dwells or lives in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say to the Lord, you are my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. I know I'm a little bit of a Debbie Downer, aren't I? My wife likes to call me a negative Nelly. We just have a different outlook on life. She's the positive one. I mean, does this make sense? There's no bells and whistles this morning. I have no funny stories to tell. I have no good stories to tell. I have no fancy slides. Jesus says, I am the one true vine. In him is life. And this morning, I want to challenge you to open your heart and your mind to where God is leading. Don't worry about what I'm saying. Don't worry about what this church is saying. Don't worry about what you're going to read in the Bible right now. For just a moment, for thousands of years, people didn't have Bibles. They had to go to a sanctuary or a temple once a week so that they could hear the scriptures read. So for thousands of years, people didn't come to the scriptures to connect with God. That's brand new for us, right? I own like 20 Bibles. But there was a time when the only way that people could connect with God is when they opened themselves up to God in prayer and wait for this. Where two or three were gathered, believers, God was present. We always say that when not enough people are in church, right? Wrong time to use that text. In the first century, it's when two or when you got together with another believer to share a meal, to walk together, to talk together, to have a warm drink somewhere. God is manifested in the relationships that we have. John says no one has ever seen God, but when we love one another, God is there. That is why church is important, not because of what we hear up here. Okay, you can read your Bible on your own. You can get your, there's like a million Bible studies you can get. You can go online and read the scriptures. I mean, you can do all that stuff on your own. You don't need me. And to prove my point, anytime we have a church and there's a pastor, if the church thinks it's a good sermon, it's because they agree with the pastor. If you think it's a bad sermon, it's because you disagree with the pastor and your mind isn't changed anyway. So you see, this exercise of preaching isn't for me to teach you because do you really ever change your mind? I see a few people not like shaking your head. Of course. This begins the conversation that's supposed to stir your soul. I'm supposed to remind you that you must keep coming back to Jesus. That's my job is to tell you about the gospel, that it doesn't matter what you've done, is that Jesus still forgives you. That's my job. My job is to awaken you to the fact that what's important about church isn't just what happens up here, it's what happens in the pews, and it's what happens at potluck, and it's what happens in Sabbath school. What's important about church is that where two or three are gathered, God is manifested. The church is where we are to love one another. And I know that's hard sometimes because someone did something to you and it still hurts. And somebody said this and it hurts. I know professional punching bags, we take it from everybody. 
and yet we still have to stand up here and give you a word from God every single Sabbath. Now, no one has hurt me here yet, <laughs> thankfully. But if we don't know how to love one another in this church, if we don't learn how to forgive one another and then move on in this church, if we don't know how to burden one another's, like shoulder one another's burdens, if we can't help one another, if we can't love one another, let's close the doors and let I'll go find another job. Because if that doesn't happen here, we have failed. And who cares that Jesus saves because we've missed the point? Negative Nelly, I know. But I love you guys way too much. I love serving God in this community too much to gloss over what is really important. I could give you guys doctrine. I could preach millions of sermons on doctrines and the fun stuff in the Bible, but if I don't bring you back to Jesus every single week, I have failed. So this morning, I just, I want to pray now. We're going we're gonna to close this. Actually, can we, can we sing a song? Can we sing a song? Don't worry. You don't have to play because I didn't tell her, but I just feel like God is leading us. In your hymnals, open to him. I believe it's 240, and it's just Ferris, Lord Jesus. Do we know that song? Let's just sing it a cappella, all of it. It's not even 12 o'clock yet, and God's still moving. And let's just sing those words and let it kind of move us, and then I'm going to lead us in prayers. Hymn number 240. Oh, okay, she can play it.
I just want to keep bringing you back to Jesus. Without him, nothing else matters and nothing else counts. And so as I pray, I just, if you're one of those people that is just, I, I need to go back to Jesus. I want to know about that. I want to sit with you. I want to teach you everything I've learned about Jesus and what that looks like. Because I want you to have that relationship with him. I do. It's not always the best one. I cheat on him sometimes. I'm not always nice to him, and yet he still invites me back. And that's what I want for each one of you. To have a friendship with Jesus. If you were to write a list of all of the people that would call you friend, or if you were to write a list of all your friends, would Jesus be on that list? I want to pray with you now. And if you're one of these people, just open your hearts to God now. Oh, Heavenly Father, you have, in the very least, spoken to me this morning, God. And you have reminded me what's of the utmost important in this world. And so, God, we know that the powers of darkness will pull at us and they will pull us away from you with all of their might. But, God, we pray that as we cling to you, that we would never be apart from you. And, God, we are thankful for the freedom that you give us. And in this freedom, God, we choose you above all other things. For those who are here this morning who have their hearts and their minds open to you, Lord, I pray that you would give them a double portion of the Holy Spirit and that you would continue to lead them. And that as the elders and as the pastors of this church, that we would teach people what it looks like to have a relationship with you. God, we thank you for the power that you have brought upon us this morning. We are thankful that the Holy Spirit has moved in a powerful way here. And God, we pray that as we walk out and as, there, as the, the danger and the temptation to forget about this message, God, we pray that you would remind us every moment of every day. We thank you that you have chosen to love us and we are grateful for your forgiveness. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.